you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Romans chapter 8. This morning as we set our minds and hearts to prepare for celebrating the Lord's Supper, I want us to focus really on verse 1, although we will make reference to verses 1 through 3. We'll focus our hearts and minds on verse 1 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The book of Ecclesiastes, in one of the more famous or well-known passages, reminds us that there is a time for everything under the sun. It says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time it says to dance, although as Baptists we'd like to ignore that, and a time to refrain from dancing. It says there's a time to celebrate, a time to rejoice. Now, often we refer to sharing the Lord's Supper as celebrating communion. But I must ask, do we really celebrate Do we really share the Lord's Supper with a sense of joy? With a sense of, yes, God, you have done this. Do we celebrate? Now, I want to remind you that celebrate does not mean being flippant or irreverent. Celebrating does not in any means diminish the meaning of what we are doing. But I would ask you to consider this morning to have a heart of celebration. The sharing of Lord's Supper has been likened to the anniversary for a believer. So baptism is often viewed as the marriage, if you would. It's where this formal commitment is made. It's signified that I am identifying as a follower of Christ. Communion is meant to be in many ways an anniversary, a way to mark, to remember what Christ has done and our commitment to follow him. Now think about the celebration of an anniversary. Do you celebrate your anniversary if you are married with a sense of somberness? I'm so glad we've come out to eat tonight. Or if a husband decided to surprise his wife with flowers and he even arranged at work that he would would dress up and he showed up at the front door and he, he knocked and had flowers in his hand and his wife throws open the door and she's shocked and she says, what's going on? And he hands her flowers. And she says, what? You remembered our anniversary. You shouldn't have done this. And he says, I know, but I knew you'd be mad if I didn't. How would that go over? But how often do we approach the celebration of communion with a sense of duty? With a sense of of just going through the motions. Communion is a celebration of a covenant relationship. You see this even in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus chapter 24, for example, it's a passage that's often overlooked, but it states that after Israel had agreed to the terms of the covenant that God had set forth, and a covenant simply lays out the boundaries of a relationship. It says that Moses, Aaron, 
and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders went up on Sinai into the presence of God. And you read that in Exodus 24, they are amazed because they are in the presence of God and they are not stricken dead. In fact, it says they were in the presence of God and they did not die. Now the amazing thing is, is that in that same passage, it says they beheld God and ate and drank. They had a meal. Right after the covenant had been ratified, what happens? These representatives of Israel go, and in the presence of God, they have a meal together, a covenant meal. You ever wonder why it is after a marriage ceremony, we have a reception and often eat a meal together? Its roots are in the Scripture. You're celebrating the fact that a covenant has been made by sharing a covenant meal. Joy and celebration are expressed in that covenant meal because a relationship has been formed. So this morning as we come to celebrate communion, we do so because we are brought into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's why this morning I wanted us to consider Romans 8.1 as we celebrate communion. Because this morning we are celebrating the fact that as believers we are no longer condemned. We are no longer under condemnation. The word condemned there in verse 1 means a legal verdict. It speaks of a verdict where the verdict and the sentence are declared. The bad news is that the declaration of our sentence is guilty. And the sentence is death. When Paul begins writing in verse 1 and he says, There is therefore, it shows a conclusion. In fact, he's bringing a conclusion to the argument he's laid out in chapters 1 through 8. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul has emphasized that we as humans have a universal problem. And that problem is sin. And in chapters 1 through 3, he lays out the argument that sin is not just a Jewish problem. It's not a Gentile problem. It's a human problem. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. That word condemned is a very strong and powerful word. It's a word that carries with it the idea of not only being, being, uh, hearing the term guilty, but carrying the weight of di disapproval, of feeling condemned. But now a change has occurred. Notice we are no longer condemned. The guilty is now declared innocent. The dead are now alive. The disapproved are now approved. And what has happened? Look in verse 3. For God has done what the law, the law being the Torah, what God gave through Moses, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What has God done? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. It's a reference to the incarnation. The fact that Jesus came in a body and he acted in his own body as a sin offering. The language for sin in verse 3 is the language that harkens back to the Old Testament when the blood of an innocent lamb, a pure lamb, a spotless lamb would be shed on behalf of the people. It's saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God who came for the purpose to be a sin offering in our place. Jesus has taken 
our sentence. Isn't that amazing? The God who is all-knowing, who has the right to judge, has now declared us not guilty and does not condemn us. How opposite from the world around us who judges without knowing and gives no kindness. Yet God in His grace has sent Jesus and given us grace upon grace. Therefore, we celebrate. We celebrate as hostages who have been set free. I can remember back in 1980, shortly after President Reagan finished his inaugural address, word was sent out across the world that the hostages, 52 hostages who had been held captive in the American embassy in Iran for 444 days had been set free. Now the amazing thing, of course, there was celebration after that because they had been held captive for so long. But I can remember the scenes as families had been flown to the Air Force Base in Germany and as the hostages were getting off the plane, you know what I did not see? I did not see any wife or mother coming up to one of those hostages and saying, how in the world could you allow yourself to be taken hostage and be kept captive for 444 days? Do you know what I've been going through while you've been gone? I didn't see any of that. You know what I did see? I saw families coming together and hugging and celebrating because those who are captive are now free. Church, that is us. We are set free and we are met by God who embraces us and says, welcome home. You are no longer captive to sin. We are those who have been sick with sin and are healed and we have joy now because we are well. We are the outcast that is now included because of God's grace. This past week, we celebrated Emma's 24th birthday. It was a good occasion. In fact, a, a praise to the Lord. She, Of course, she had a cake, and during speech therapy, she was doing so well and swallowing so well that the therapist got a little bit of icing and put on a, a, a tongue depressor and allowed Emma to lick it, and she swallowed it with no problem. And I thought, how wonderful must that be? Well, one of the, the blessings of this week is friends and many of you had sent in letters just with memories of Emma and we laughed at, at, at memories of Emma cried also but one of them stood out it was from one of Emma's classmates and she said Emma I remember the first time I met you in first grade she said I'd gotten in trouble she said I had was trying to make people laugh it was like the first or second week of school and she said I never got in trouble much and I got a yell a lot in Mrs. Connor's class and I had to sit at a table while the other students were doing things and painting and everything and I was at a table by myself and Emma I was heartbroken I was so alone and ashamed and you came over and sat down next to me Emma and you said it's okay I get in trouble all the time she said you'll never know what that meant to me I wasn't alone. God has come to say you're not alone. And when you feel the weight, the weight of the world on your shoulders to know that God has said, I am with you, you are not condemned. I have entered into that with you. These truths are demonstrated as we share communion this morning. That because, because Jesus' body was broken for us, for our sins, we are healed. The drink reminds us that the death of Jesus makes us alive to God and brings us into a relationship with Him. And this relationship is now. 
I love that little three-letter adverb, now. Present tense. There is now no condemnation in Christ. What a wonderful word. Now, there are aspects of our salvation that are still future. There are things that we still wait for. For example, the resurrection of the body when the very presence of sin is gone. But now we can say the penalty of sin has been paid. Now atonement has occurred. Now our bill, our debt to God has been paid. Now the power of sin is broken and death is defeated. Now we are declared not guilty. I think if there's a word we need to remember, it's the word now. This morning, Chris led us in singing a great hymn of the faith, the mighty fortress is our God. It reminds us of the victory we have in Christ, but the fact that our enemy comes against us, and one of the tools that the enemy uses so well is guilt. How many of us are carrying around guilt from things past that's weighing us down like we're walking around with 25-pound dumbbells in our hands wondering, why do I feel so heavy? Hear the words, there is now no condemnation in Christ. We experience this now. We celebrate now. And notice they are ours in Christ Jesus. That's good news. It's good news because we are reminded that the law could not set us free. It's not because the law was weak in any way. Look at verse 3. The law was weakened by the flesh. The law could not save us because we were not able to do enough to keep the law. Trying to earn our salvation by works is like trying to paddle a canoe with toothpicks. You can't do it. It's in Christ Jesus. God did for us in Jesus what we could not do for ourselves. That's why we celebrate in Christ Jesus by faith, trusting him. Lord, you have paid it all. One of the most powerful war films in, in regarding World War II came out in 1998, the film Saving Private Ryan. Now, I figure since it's almost, you know, over 25 years old now, I'm not giving away any spoilers at the end, so please forgive me if I do. Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, has been mortally wounded. He has led his squad and they have successfully came and captured Private Ryan, not captured, but found him and are working to get him back, back to his family. And as Captain Miller is leaning against a jeep and in his dying breath, Private Ryan is standing in front of him and he says these words to Private Ryan, earn this. then cuts to Private Ryan as an older man. He's standing at a graveyard, a cemetery overlooking Normandy. And he's standing at Captain Miller's grave. And he says, I've never forgotten the words you said to me that day. And I've tried to live a good life. And he looks at his wife and says, tell me, tell me I've been a good man. As I've reflected on that, I thought, what a horrible thing for Captain Miller to say to him. How do you live a good enough life to earn somebody sacrificing theirs for you? In fact, one ranger who saw the film applauded the film, but he said the fact is that a, a ranger, a true army ranger, would never say, earn this. 
An army ranger would say, I chose this. And that's what our Lord says. Yes, we are commanded to walk in a manner worthy, but we are nowhere told to earn his, sal earn his salvation, to earn our salvation. That has been bought in Christ. And that's what we celebrate today. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask the deacons as we pray right now to make their way to the front and just to, to stand in front of the first row here. Father, this morning we want to celebrate what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We recognize that we are not worthy and we could never be worthy enough, but yet, Lord, in your grace, you have made us worthy. You have given us the righteousness of Jesus and we did not deserve that. So, Father, this morning we celebrate communion. We celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do this to proclaim that until the day that he returns. So, Father, it's with joyful hearts and attitudes that we celebrate what you have done this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.